you hear this passage a little bit like a cheering squad this morning. Jesus gathered on the mountain long ago with this group of folks. Been thinking about this passage in a couple of different ways. We talk often about how the church is involved, and God is involved with a giant rummage sale of the church. Garage doors open, God's rummaging around, and we have absolutely no idea what things will look like when God is done with the rummage. I might add, politically, there's a spot of rummaging going on. The garage door has been lifted and we have no idea how things will look. But nonetheless, God, I believe, is at work. And sometimes as I've traveled around this week, I have found folks a bit fearful, looking into the future, either politically or about the church even. Someone asked me this week, so what's really going on with Glen Haven? <laughs> and I could feel within that conversation a good question about who are we and what does our future look like? Oh, the rummage is on. But the hands behind the rummage also belong to the creator and sustainer. And so in the midst of the sort of shifts of up and down of courage and failure of courage and fear and flight, found these great words that come to us from Martin Luther King Jr. We must build dikes of courage to hold back the floods of fear. So we gather today because we're part of building the dikes of courage to hold back the fear that can stomp right through our world today. The topic or the theme or the word that's come up to me again and again this week in unusual places, and I emphasize the unusual part because it has, the word that's come to me is resilience. And the folks in our community and in Minnesota who are working on what it means to be a resilient people, no matter what our work, if it's physicians, if it's bookkeepers, if it's teachers, if it's insurance companies, what does it mean to live and be able to live in a state of resilience? And what I love about Jesus is he's suggesting the group of people before him who could be fundamentally the peak into resilience. And guess what? It's not where we usually look. Jesus isn't looking at people before him that come from the empire of Rome or from the power of Jerusalem. He's looking at the folks that have gathered around him because they are seeking and searching for hope and help and peace, and they're the average Joe and Jane, and they've been chewed up by empire, which has to be seen as a foot on their throne throats, and we don't always get it. The New Testament is scripture coming out of persecution, and empire being on the throat of people, and this is their writings about how they persevered, and this is Matthew giving us an account of his communities wrestling with resilience and persevering. And they remember, he remembers this picture of Jesus going up on a mountain. Now, mountains in scripture are very powerful. We connect the dots with certain mountains, they echo. So we see a mountain, and I think Matthew's trying to remind us of a mountain where Moses met with God, and we receive the Ten Commandments, Torah, which would shape a community. And here's Jesus up on another mountain, 
And he's giving heart to Torah. He's not canceling it, but he's giving a new vision of Torah. The first was in cloud and quake and darkness and lightning and fear and awe and interpretation. It was not a direct relationship with God. It was always interpreted. And here on the second mountain, Matthew is suggesting something completely different. There isn't cloud, there's transparency. It is an interpretation, it's an offer of a relationship with the Christ, who constantly was saying at that point, come, come, come with me to this mountain, come, let's sit together. Come meaning abide, not just come along, but the Greek meaning abide, sit with me, rest with me. So a whole different picture is being presented to us of God in our midst, bringing fulfilling meaning to Torah, the heart, which was relationship, relationship with God, relationship to community, relationship to one another, you know, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. That was the heart of Torah. And Jesus, sitting on this mountain, begins a cheering squad because those beneath, before him know all about brokenness and being shattered. They're the average again, Tom and Joe and Mary. They're the fisher folk, the shepherds, the farmers. And I'll tell you, Rome was mean to that part of the community. Taxation. I want more of your grain. I want more of your wine. I want your olive oil. It's going directly to Rome. And we don't care if you forfeit your lands in doing this. The foot of Rome upon their necks. And also we have in the midst those who were broken, not in just in terms of spirit and heart and soul, but also physically. They were not welcome in worship. So yet the lame and the blind, hoping someone would help bring them to that mountain. And I have a feeling, because of Jesus' presence, a lot of folks helped one another that day to be there, to sit in his midst, to listen to him. So you can envision people carrying one another to this mountainside. Oh, the lame, the broken, the women, the women being made welcome at Jesus' feet. All these folks that were not welcome in worship find themselves in a whole different space. What is this? Who is this? What is this about, they're asking? something new, something different. And who does Jesus bless in this passage? These are the folks gathered that know about what it means to be trodden on and jammed down with little hope of resilience or standing tall or even having a welcoming community. Jesus, you can just see him saying, blessed are you. I know you're mourning. Blessed are you because you know about terror. You know your land was taken from you. I've heard about that. Jesus saying, blessed are you for your ailments because you know compassion as no one else will. So he gathers around him these people that know, know all about poverty. They know about broken spirits. We remember in Psalm 51 that uh, David writes a psalm after terrorizing choices he made. He uses words that talk about, oh God, you welcome a broken spirit. And you know, the Hebrew there is all about pulverization. It's not just broken. 
It's, he writes, God, you welcome a pulverized heart. Hmm. That is what you will use to make something new, God, says David. These folks know about brokenness. And he's saying, oh, blessed are you. Oh, blessed. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy are you. Because you know about this. Because together, we can embody a whole new community of which the benchmark is compassion and empathy and a willingness to reach out and listen and to own one's wounds. So I keep coming back to some of the writers this week that offer to us hope and woundedness. Henri Nouwen, the wounded healer. Paul Turnier, who spent time in a community in Canada where everybody was so incredibly spent by disabilities, and yet that's what his writings come out of. And I love Anne Lamott because with her her wonder of words and her own brokenness, she says, it comes simply down to this. We come to God saying, help. One word, one wonderful word is what we get from Anne Lamott. All we need to do is say, help. And that's why those folks were gathered that day on that mountain. They knew they needed help. It's like AA right before us. AA's principles are built on the fact that at some point you're brought to this moment where you say, I can't do it on my own anymore. I can't. Help. I was thinking of my daughter-in-law's brother once again who died days before Christmas because he was unable to get to that point with alcohol of saying, oh God, help me. And at 39 died. Oh, to be able to say and own the words, I need help. I promise you, this broken girl right here can only stand with knees trembling before you today as usual, always knees trembling, because I need help. And Jesus says, come, come walk with me, follow me, come be with me and abide. And something happens. So the word that's really hard for us is realizing that Jesus is topsy-turvying, swirling around, turning things on head, because it's not power and empire that he is blessing. It's the weakness. It's the foolishness of God. It's that someone would go to a cross. I mean, that's not success. That's failure. That's death. And the wisdom of God is that in this man, Jesus, wounded, that is our hope, that is our wisdom, and that is our resiliency to build our life upon him. Oh, that great quote this week. This week. Oh, you mean to say, Jesus, that the way we thought things should be, the lens we've been interpreting the world around, is not wisdom? And Jesus says quietly with a smile sitting upon the mountain, yeah, you got it. A new word on what wisdom is. And he says it with a smile and with a hope that we will really be able to believe that this way of Jesus, of servanthood, and of turning to these people, this is who Jesus turned to to build his new community. People that knew from their brokenness and from their woundedness, they were still there. And that's what I heard this week. The executive of our synod spoke at Presbytery yesterday. She stood before us, a Native American woman from Delaware. And she said, 
Now my people just want you to know we're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. We haven't disappeared. We're still here. And we want to talk about walking together with resilience that we come to understand. So there are grants being written for the Fond du Lac community because they are hiring statisticians and others to work with resilience within the tribal community because they want a new future as a community built upon resilience. And it's the study of what has wounded and been traumatizing and what can come out of that because when you understand trauma, when you've been through it, you know what it means to reach out to someone. You know what it means to have compassion and understanding because you were there. So Alona and another friend of mine, Colleen, keep calling me and Colleen keeps saying, Robin, we need to get together to talk about what I'm learning about resilience. And I'm like, Colleen, tell me. We need to hear the hope of resilience and what it means to not just be left with pulverizing self, but to learn to stand and to work together. And so I have seen some very powerful things this week. Last Sunday at St. Anne's, small worship service that the Presbyterians are a part of leading once a month. I saw our dear one, Joan, unable to get to her walker, and I watched another dear friend while she and I were talking quietly walk over get her walker, unlock it, bring it over, put it by her side, and simply walk to the back to wait until Joan was ready to go to her room. I saw tender mercy in the bringing of that walker, tender mercy. I've seen people in deep, deep mourning this week, deep mourning, and yet what they want to bring out of that mourning is a listening voice Listen, to sit with one another, to say there can maybe be no end of grief. It may go on for years. And yet I'll sit with you because I understand that grief. I've experienced it myself. On Facebook, my dearest friend, Eleanor, her dear 23-year-old daughter, she turned 23 this year, Dina, is totally incapacitated in a wheelchair. She's a tall young woman, and all I see on her face is a smile that will bring you to tears because of the openness and purity, the purity of heart. You know what I want to do? I want to drive over to Wisconsin and sit at the feet of Dina. That's where I want to sit, because that's where I might learn again about purity of heart. Or I want to turn to the picture on Facebook of military men and women sitting in a veterinary clinic holding little koalas and little zoos, little kangaroos, holding them, hugging them in their military outfit, lined in chairs ready to care for these little tiny animals. Peacemaking. And I see someone who constantly pours the grace in the midst of justice and peacemaking. Words of, it's all right, says Colleen. I'll answer any questions about the Native community and our challenges. It's all right, because I believe in the grace of God at this moment and what we can do together in the future. And as I see on the front page of our paper today, the Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial that will be taking place this summer, I wonder, as a community, how we can be resilient enough together to stand with, to say, you're still here, and we're still here, and we will stand together as peacemakers to remember that 
We pray earnestly that a lynching will never happen again in Minnesota. It's the little things, standing with one another, walkers, listening. It's the little things that make the difference and begin to build within us resilience as we hold the hands of people who understand brokenness. And so that picture we leave with one another. Um, Jesus blessed everybody that day and he blessed the mess that they could be those who bless, who take out the blessing and the good news of hope and resilience. I won't say it well, you probably know the name better than I, but the Japanese art of kintsuji, where you take something broken and you mend it back together with lacquer, but the lacquer has gold in it. And so the word is, it's the art of precious scars. Have you ever thought of your scars as being precious? That's what Jesus saw, that your scars and my scars are precious because he will take the gold and the lacquer and will reshape something new as individuals. As a community, Glen Avon, our scars, our wounds, God can use that. We'll put the lacquer, and there'll be this new bowl that will be used for, we pray, blessing for the community. So, courage doesn't always roar. Oh, praise God. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. Let's take a moment. Lord, we come before you today in our brokenness, working to find those words to say, I need help. Praying and hoping that the news is true, that when we offer that prayer of help, that you will rush in not with judgment, but will rush in with transparency, hope, love, and words that say, oh, just come and sit with me. I will listen. And then you will take your pencil of lacquer gold and begin to heal our scars. And we're praying that we could become those vessels. And we're praying that we might learn of this resiliency, the new benchmark of community. Because our world is dying, Lord, to hear a blessing, resilience, hope and courage in the face of fear. So come, Lord, speak to us, heal us, and welcome us at this table that reminds us of love given so great that all might know of good news. In Christ's name we pray.